0: This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Presented by Postano. On today's show, Brian sits down with Brian Windhorst, NBA reporter for ESPN, to talk NBA free agency. Both
1: Curry and Durant are going to be free agents after the coming year, and there's going to be a new CBA that comes into effect, we expect, before that happening. And so now, will the owners try to force uh, some sort of changes in that will make it uh, very penal for them to keep it?
0: Now, with Sports Business Radio, here's Brian Berger.
2: Thanks for checking out the only show dedicated to covering the business side of sports. We're happy to be powered by our friends at Pistano. Follow them online at Pistano.com or on Twitter at Pistano. It is a crazy week in the NBA, and I think one of the sharpest people covering the NBA is Brian Windhorst, NBA reporter for ESPN He'll join me on our show this week. We'll talk about LeBron James finally delivering a championship to the city of Cleveland. What does his future hold? What's going on with Dwayne Wade? Is he going to be back in Miami? Or will this finally be the divorce that we've thought could happen between the Heat and Dwayne Wade. Kevin Durant shocks the NBA world, changes the landscape, goes from Oklahoma City to Golden State, and we've got a CBA coming up next year in the NBA. So we're all talking about contracts and things that'll happen next summer, but do we really know? Because with a new CBA in place, everything could be different. So we'll talk about that with Brian Windhorst coming up on our show today. I want to remind you the first ever Sports PR Summit Social Media Workshop is going to take place on July 20th at Twitter headquarters in San Francisco. I'm very excited about this. I will be there for that. For more information and to receive an invitation to this invite-only event, get in touch with us at sportsprsummit.com. Great opportunity to go to our networking party on July 19th at Bleacher Report headquarters in downtown San Francisco. And then the next day, get inside of Twitter on July 20th. A rare opportunity. It's an invite-only type of place. So uh, if you want to see those venues, learn from top social media minds Figure out how to create content 24-7, 365 for your platform. It's a great event. The Sports PR Summit Social Media Workshop coming up on July 19 and 20 in San Francisco. I'm joined by our executive
0: producer. Brian
2: Griggs. Griggs, how are you?
0: I'm doing great and uh, couldn't be more excited about the NBA offseason so far. It's been exciting. (laughs) So let's give you some numbers. Almost
2: $3 billion worth of free agent contracts have been agreed to thus far. That's a 35% raise from last year. I get this question all the time. Why, Brian? Why so much more money this summer than ever before? Well, remember the new TV money is starting to kick in. So the cap has gone up from, I believe, $70 million to $94 million. It's going to go up over $100 million next year. But like I just said, when there's a new CBA in place, at the end of next season after that negotiation takes place, could the landscape look even more different? But, you know, when I have to Google some players, Griggs, like I didn't know who John Luer was and, Um, You know, I'm seeing Evan Turner handed a a contract for $17.5 million a year by the Portland Trailblazers. There are some role players that are getting contracts that you just kind of go, whoa, that guy got what? Like, you expect Kevin Durant, LeBron James, uh, guys like that to get big contracts. But some of the middle-tier players that are getting paid, it's phenomenal. And then... You know, a great trivia question, who's the highest-paid player in the history of the NBA? Well, right now, agreed to, Mike Conley, $153 million. I mean, most people would say, well, you know, it would have been Michael Jordan, or it would be LeBron James, or Kevin Durant. No, Mike Conley currently, today, has the richest contract in NBA history at $153 million. So it's been a... Crazy landscape so far in NBA free agency. It's
0: crazy, too. I was just reading at it today. Uh, Ray John Rondo, two year, 28 million. Uh, Jamal Crawford, three year, 42 million. I mean, these are, you know, role players, six man type players. Well, and
2: what, it's crazy. You know what's happened, Griggs, is guys like Ray Allen, who took last year off, Steven Jackson, who hasn't played in the NBA for a year or two, uh, Shane Battier, Carlos Boozer, guys who have been retired for a year or two, they're going, wait a minute that's the money being handed out? You know what? I'm dusting off the <laughs> yeah. shoes. I'm getting back in the game. Yeah. Sergio Rodriguez, who has played overseas for a few years, got $8 million a year from the Philadelphia 76ers. And, you know, you just look at these contracts and you're like, wow. And and NBA players are doing it too. Like I just mentioned, guys that have been retired are going, you know what? If the money's that good, if I can come back and make $8, $10, 15000000 million for a year, you know what? I'm in. I'll... I'll Go back to physical therapy and training and, and all dust off the, the shoes and, and I'm back out on the court. Uh, it, it's an amazing landscape, but you know it still doesn't compare. This is something we'll talk about with Brian Windhorst. If you look at someone like Giancarlo Stanton of the Miami Marlins, highest paid player in Major League Baseball, 13 years, $325 million. There's an uncapped market in Major League Baseball. You can pay a player whatever the market dictates. Imagine if that was the landscape in the NBA. You'd have LeBron and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry probably making between 50 and $60 million a year. And you know what? In those cases, as I've argued on this show for many years, I think they're worth every penny. Because when you see the impact that LeBron James has on the city of Cleveland and the economics there, when you see the impact that Curry and now Durant have, will have on Golden State, the impact Durant had on Oklahoma City, it goes beyond the the basketball court. It is literally impacting the economics of your city. It's impacting your franchise value. Look, when LeBron returned to Cleveland in 2014, the Cavs were worth roughly $500 million. Two years later, Griggs, they're worth over a billion dollars. He has doubled the franchise value in two years. Watch what the franchise value does in Oklahoma City now that Durant has left and if Westbrook leaves, and watch what the value does in Golden State now with those four superstars all on the same team. So there are just some players that you can't measure their worth with their contract that you pay them. So it would be interesting if the next CBA, by the way, which has – LeBron James, Chris Paul, and Carmelo Anthony sitting at the head of the table representing the Players Union, all superstar players, are they going to say, you know what, part of this new deal, we want max players to be able to get whatever the market dictates. There should be no cap on what we get paid. That will be interesting to watch. Other things going on uh, in the world of sports, uh, Wimbledon is going on. There's some good matches there. What else have you been uh, paying attention to, Greg? Well, I,
0: I, I'm an Olympic. We talk about the Olympics quite a bit. And yep. I, I'm big with the Olympics. Summer Olympics, there's tons of controversy just because oh, man. of where it is and you know all the stuff that's not ready and the swimming and the water's tainted and all this stuff. So that's kind of, uh, this, there's tons of storylines going on. So, I mean, with that.
2: when they're talking about super bacteria, they're talking about <laughs> yeah. a foot washed up on the beach where volleyball (laughs) is going to be not good obviously the zika virus and we've seen already that jason day and roy mcelroy have said no thanks i'm not going yep you see that venues are far from being built and people are wondering how is this venue going to be built in the next month you know we hear the the kind of chicken little cries of the Olympics, whether it's security concerns, or we heard what was going on in Sochi, that the venues weren't going to be done, and there weren't hotels, and mm-hmm. people couldn't go to the bathroom, and you know all these things, and it turned out to be fine, yeah. is that what's going to happen with Rio, or are we looking at something that we're going to go, oh my gosh, how in the world did they decide to hold the Olympics there? Which, by the way, you know they've had World Cup, they've done some good things in Rio, but this is a whole different level. And the other thing is there's a huge financial crisis in Rio. There's government change. Uh, I tweeted out a story retweeted a story from uh, the New York Times the other day that was just a thorough story giving you a great look at the landscape of Rio right now, what needs to be done, all the different controversies that exist, the worries and the concerns so it's certainly going to get people to tune in because you're going to kind of want to see like how does this unfold and and can they pull it off?
0: And you know NBC always does a good job so they'll paint it like it's just perfect <laughs> right but it always is fun to see the coverage and they do a good job and uh i'm excited another thing too i've been into is just the uefa soccer has been incredible i mean i've been watching every game it's been really uh it's much watch tv for me i love it yeah and speaking
2: of which uh, i saw a report today uh Lionel messi and his father i guess were involved with some fraud mm-hmm. uh, they're not going to go to jail but but that certainly has been a big story, business story, that's resonated in the soccer world. But yes, uh, the the games have been a lot of fun to watch. Iceland, you know, they were the, the story of the tournament.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. And but talk about Messi, too, is he's pulling off. He's not going to play on in the international right. team anymore and all that yep. stuff. So there's lots of news, which is always fun. I just love the world soccer because the, the crowds and the venues are just ridiculous. I mean, it's fun to watch.
2: Well, and I'll, the last thing I'll say, since our last show, when we had Mark King on Adidas, Dustin Johnson from Adidas won. He finally broke through and and won a Grand Slam, and he won the next event after that. Dustin Johnson seems to be the guy that may be starting to break through and realizing the potential that he was knocking on the door of for many years. That's great for Adidas, who also has Jason Day. So uh, it's been interesting to watch, and obviously going into the British Open, Dustin Johnson has to be the favorite, even though... You know, Jordan Spieth and and Jason Day and Rory are always capable of of winning those tournaments as well. All right. Coming up next, Brian Windhorst, NBA reporter for ESPN. We're going to dig into LeBron's future, Kevin Durant going from Oklahoma City to the Golden State Warriors the upcoming CBA and what is going on with Dwayne Wade is he going to stay in Miami and finish his career there or could we see Dwayne Wade move to a more lucrative city and take that big money that's being handed out on the NBA market. I'm Brian Berger he's Brian Griggs. You're listening to Sports Business Radio we'll be right back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter. Twitter.com slash SBRadio powered by Postano Hi, it's Brian Berger. Here at Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with our partners, Pistano. They make a sports-proven visual marketing platform that I've personally been amazed to see. Teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, L.A. Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Pistano to engage their fans. When sports teams and fans tell their stories together, amazing things can happen. Every fan has a story. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, create a dynamic social media command center, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website, Pistano can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. Even better, using the Pistano platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorships. As an example, the Kings sell sponsor space to Toyota and other clients and run the ads using Pistano. Want to see what your team social content could look like? Schedule a demo today. Go to pastanocom slash sports. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And these guys get it. That is P-O-S-T-A-N-O dot Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Brian Windhorst, NBA reporter for ESPN. You can find him on Twitter at Windhorst ESPN. He has covered LeBron James and the NBA for a long, long time. He's been on the show before. Brian, thanks for joining us. No problem. So let's start with the Cleveland Cavaliers finally winning a championship. Uh, my question to you is... LeBron had been chasing this for Cleveland his whole career. Dan Gilbert had prom- this, promised this to the city of Cleveland. Now that they've both delivered, does LeBron really, what's next for LeBron? Cause I've tried to think of that since he, you know, was at the parade and I know he wants to win more championships, but does he owe Cleveland any more now that he's delivered that championship to them?
1: He doesn't know it. He doesn't owe anybody anything. He can do whatever he wants. Um, no, typically, you know, not that he's typical in any regard, but typically, when you win a championship, you want to defend that championship, and yeah, you know, in in this case, you'd want to enjoy the year as champion. So I'm not surprised at all that he's lining up to come back to the Cavs. Um, as far as the rest of his career, I don't know, and frankly, I don't care. He's, in my mind, um, he's a, his career is complete. He is, he's won everything you could possibly want to win. If you want to get into the counting about how many titles that's fine. I don't think he cares. Um I don't think his legacy is gonna be affected by it. Um winning multiple championships, um, doing what he did, making the greatest comeback in NBA history, basically um, you know, being the catalyst of that. His legacy is complete and he's only thirty one years old, so he has some years left and he probably has some contention left and if he wants to go play somewhere else, I don't think anybody should care.
2: What about Dan Gilbert? We know what the championship means to him. And, you know, we know the relationship between Dan Gilbert and LeBron has still been a little bit chilly, even since LeBron returned to Cleveland. What does Gilbert see going forward for his franchise? Or, you know, can he say, kind of like Dallas has said with their one championship, Hey, look, we, we won one for everyone.
1: It's going to cost, it's, it cost him a lot of money. Um, They paid $54 million in luxury taxes. It was the second most expensive team in NBA history. Um, Between luxury taxes and the um, salaries, it was in the neighborhood of $160 million commitment to the roster just for uh, this last season. Um, He It cut him deep. He sold a piece of the team midway through the year to a couple of local investors. Um, I have no idea what his finances are. I have no idea whether the... Luxury tax payment um, had anything to do with his reason for selling a, a section of the team. I can just state those two facts, that the team operated heavily in the red, and he sold a section of the team during the season. Obviously, you can't do that every year. So, um, he, it was it's his, you know, the, the the theme for the season was all in. It was, and that was his theme. that He came up with that. It wasn't the marketing department. So, he backed that up by how much he spent, and um I don't think that they can continue to do that year over year. In fact, they're already letting some of their, um, end level free agents go. They can't pay to keep the team together. So, um, LeBron came back to Cleveland for many reasons. Uh, one of the reasons, only LeBron knows where it ranks, but one of the reasons was that there was definitely a break, uh, apl- a- a- applying happening in Miami with the spending. He knew if he came to Cleveland that, um, uh, that Dan Gilbert would spend, LeBron delivered on his end. Gilbert delivered on his end again. As far as I'm concerned, they're square. They both have the trophy. They both are going to have the ring, and it was a. It turned out to be a very fruitful uh, partnership.
2: So you bring up the Miami Heat. Let's go there. We know you've been reporting about Dwayne Wade and his situation with the Miami Heat. You know, we had this conversation last summer, Brian, and and. Next to Dan Marino, there hasn't been an athlete that has meant more to the city of Miami than Dwayne Wade. I just don't see a way that the Heat can let him walk. Do you see them getting this done?
1: Well, I have no idea how it's going to resolve itself. Um, by the time people are listening to this, it may have resolved itself. Um, I will say that at this moment, the acrimony between the Heat and Dwayne is uh, very deep. And this has happened in the past. Um, you know, Pat Riley, when he was, uh, when Tim Hardaway was there, Tim Hardaway, for a while, was the face of that franchise. And, um, they reached a point where Tim felt he could continue to play, that he didn't seem to agree at the same price level, and he went to the Dallas Mavericks at the end of his career. You probably don't even remember that because it was insignificant, and his career ended shortly thereafter. Um, there was a point where Alonzo Mourning reached a section of his career where he still thought he could do Things um, the New Jersey Nets offered him, I think 17 or 20 million. I can't remember the number. The Heat offered him 1 million, and when they couldn't work it out, the Heat helped facilitate sending him to New Jersey. They they always would say, "Well, we send him someplace where they could be more competitive because the the Nets were more competitive than the Heat at that point," and that's true. But at the end of the day, it was because Pat Riley was offering 1 million. I can't remember what the number was. I think it was 17 million or something like that that the Nets were offering. But he's done this before. Um, he's reached a point with franchise players where he's just going to draw a line and say, this is where you are. So this is sort of repeating itself. It's repeating itself very publicly because of the nature of where, of how the NBA is right now. Um, and maybe at the end of the day, uh, the Heat feel like it's time to move on from Dwayne, and they're just making it hard on him to do that. Um, at the same time, like all relationships, if you get into a room and get to a table, you can hammer out your differences. I do think there is middle ground. I think there's a lot of scar tissue that's built up. You have to realize um, that Dwayne um, left money in 2010 to help the Heat. He left money in 2014. When I say left money, I mean he literally took a pay cut um, in 2014 to help the Heat. Last year, he wanted a multi-year contract and agreed to a one-year contract so that the Heat could chase Kevin Durant now. I think he's just gotten to the point where he's saying, I'm at the end here, I can't continue to give back. This is where you have to pay me off. And, you know, to the heat's credit, maybe, um, they set him up for this by, you know, promising that golden parachute. And now they're saying, well, maybe we won't give it to you. And so I can see both sides uh, of the story.
2: I wonder in the future, how this may impact future signings in Miami though, because if this is how you treat the face of your franchise, what is it, What message does that send to other free agents that may look at Miami as a destination?
1: Well, like I said, they did it to uh, Hardaway in morning and had no problem not only getting morning back later but signing plenty of free agents. And Pat Riley and Mickey Harrison know this very well.
2: Brian Windhorst, NBA reporter for ESPN, is our guest. You can find him on Twitter at ESPN. All right, let's talk about the story of the week and really the story of the year in the NBA other than the Cavs winning the championship. Kevin Durant and his free agency, he announced on the Players' Tribune that he's signing with the Golden State Warriors. So, Brian, I talked to some people from Nike who were in constant contact with Durant over the weekend when he was in the Hamptons, and what they told me is that Durant was really overwhelmed by all of this. You know, Tom Brady showing up with the Celtics and Pat Riley and Jerry West calling him. You know, Durant is a pretty low-key guy, so I think that flurry of activity in the span of, Four days was really a lot for him. And my question to you is this. You know, last time around when he re-signed with the Thunder, he was with a different agent. Then he signed with Jay-Z and Rock Nation. How much do you think Rock Nation may have played a part in ultimately getting him from Oklahoma City to the Bay Area?
1: It's hard to say. I mean, um, Rock Nation is a new agency, and their first big deal that they did, I believe, was with Robinson Cano, right? And they moved him to, um, you know, from New York to Seattle. Um, and you know, people will tell you that the power in in brokering, you know, in in in, a, in representing is the power to move. Um, you know, anybody can re-sign. I mean, I I could have negotiated with the Thunder to re-sign Kevin Durant. Um, the the show of power is the power to move somebody. Um, so there was a concern from the Thunder when when um, when, when uh, Durant hired Rock Nation after seeing what happened with Cano that, that would be one of the things that they wanted to do was they wanted to stake their um, you know the reputation of their growing agency on their ability to to wield power um, CAA for example um, got into the basketball business uh, circa 2008 or so uh, I may not have that exactly right but they're their flexing of power was was displayed in 2010 when they represented uh Wade, LeBron and Bosch, and they collaborated to bring them all to Miami. Right. Now CAA is is if not the most powerful, right there among the most powerful players in the entire basketball industry. They they represent uh, coaches, uh, executives, players. They, you know, they continue to draw clients because of their power and it was the, you know, the, the showing of their power that created that. So I do think that there is something to that. But I also think that the way Rock handled the Under Armour negotiations with um, Durant uh showed that 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 isn't always what they're about. They could have moved Durant to Under Armour. Instead, they pushed Nike to the absolute limit and got what appears to be, I mean, I have not been shown the contract, but what appears to have been a fantastic deal for Kevin Durant to remain at Nike uh, with the pressure of Under Armour. So, um Yes, I do think that there's a possibility that 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 Rock had some incentives to to move him, um, but from where I stand, the Cano deal, from what I understand, was a good deal. The Under Armour deal, or the a Nike deal with the Under Armour threat, was absolutely a good deal, and this could turn out to be a terrific deal for Kevin Durant. Well, have to see.
2: The other thing I heard is that there was a lot of inner circle strife with Durant's people around him. Some wanted him to stay in Oklahoma city. Others wanted him to leave. And that also added to the pressure that he was feeling because everyone wasn't on the same page with what the move should be. Were you hearing similar things
1: at the end of the day? It was Kevin's decision to have all the meetings in a row out there in the Hamptons. It was Kevin's decision to, um, to, to sign with the Warriors. The back story, I mean, it may, it's interesting to, to people who want, at the end of the day, all that matters is that Kevin made those decisions. Um, and I think at the end of the day, one of the things that the Thunder have learned is that Kevin is a different person now at age 27, I believe he is, than he was when he was um, 21, 22, when he last signed. And um, I think that this decision illustrates that.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, I have no problem with him moving on to Golden State, and, and I could make a strong case why it's a, a great career move for him, and it's why you're a free agent. Um, it's gonna be interesting. Golden State next summer could be paying $328 million in max contracts just between Curry, who's in line for a five-year, $176 million contract, and Durant, who would get four years at $152 million. So, you know, one of the strengths of the Warriors the last few years has been their depth. Well, now you know you're going to have four guys that are on max contracts, pretty much, and then the rest of the team is going to be filled out by guys who are, uh, you know, making close to the minimum. That's going to be an interesting dynamic, don't you think?
1: Yeah, and there's, this is why I think that the concept that it's over, just hand them the trophy, is um, pretty short sighted, uh, because the hurdles that they're going to have to overcome and the corners that they're going to have to get around are going to be challenging. The other thing is um, we saw in 2010, the next year there was a collective bargaining agreement, and the owners were very upset by what the heat were able to do. And so they put some provisions in place um, in the next CBA. They just outvoted the heat, essentially, um, to uh, to basically create anti-heat rules. At the very least, um, it would be difficult to keep the heat together, uh, and really make it hard to, to duplicate it. And the Heat were so upset by those anti-Heat rules that they, in fact, voted against the CBA. They were one of the five teams who voted against it. Um, and it did hurt them. It did hamstring them, and it caused them to do things like later cut Mike Miller and not be able to chase some other free agents that right. contributed to LeBron's unrest. Um, so the reason the rules were invalidated largely was because the rule the game changed midway through here with the cap spike, with all of the influx of television money, they could not have predicted in 2010 that they were going to, or 2011, I should say, they were going to have a tripling of television money. They certainly knew they were going to get a raise, but not that. And the document could not handle what's happened. So it it basically nullified the rules they had in place. So the question now is, here we have another CBA due after this upcoming season. And will the owners um, who outrank uh you know Joe Lacob and Peter Guber, twenty nine one, and frankly, a lot of owners, from what I can tell, are annoyed by Joe Lacob, especially recently in the New York Times right. when he boasted about how he's light years ahead. Right. Um, that did not go over well with his peers, from what I've been told. Um, will they try to put in what essentially are going to be anti-warrior rules um, and try to update the rules to accommodate for the new uh, salary cap uh, uh, money? And so the question is. Will this Warriors team, in fact, be able to be kept together? The thing that the Heat had, all those guys signed um, six-year contracts in 2010. Um, now, they all had outs after the fourth year, uh, and that ended up breaking up after the fourth year, but they had some certainty. In this case, both Curry and Durant are going to be free agents after the coming year, and there's going to be a new CBA that comes into effect, we expect, before that happening. And so... Now, will the owners try to force uh, some sort of changes in that will make it uh, very penal for them to keep it? That's something to keep an eye on, and another reason why you can't just assume, oh, this team's going to win five straight titles.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Speaking of the CBA, so this is Adam Silver's first negotiation as commissioner, Michelle Roberts' first negotiation as the head of the Players' Union. LeBron has a seat at the table as VP of the Players' Union. You've got all this new TV money, I look at someone like Giancarlo Stanton of the Marlins, who has a 13-year, $325 million contract, and I've always wondered, I think, and this is just my opinion, that one of the things that LeBron wants to do before it's all said and done is he wants to have an impact on the future of contracts for players Going down the road. So in other words, you know, there's been a big argument over time. Like, how much would LeBron or Kevin Durant or Steph Curry be worth in an uncapped market like we have in Major League Baseball? And I think you could make a great argument that if you look at someone like LeBron, look at the impact he has on the city of Cleveland, the economics. I mean, even if you paid him 50 to 60 million dollars a year, if you're Dan Gilbert, you're getting a great, a great deal with what he's meaning to the city of Cleveland do you see the players saying look we want some kind of stipulation that says max players can sign for whatever the market dictates
1: no I don't think that will happen because ultimately the CBA is uh, one-man one vote and one of the things that is um, you know the NBA system is a very socialistic system uh, it's hard to say that because it's it's a league owned by billionaires played by millionaires um but uh it's set up even though it doesn't always work this way but the rules are set up to enable the teams that are struggling the benefits uh um of more salary cap space and the better draft picks uh the weaker teams are handed um you know the lesser teams are handed revenue sharing they're handed the better draft picks um that happens the the the, the top end of the, um, of the, of the stars, the super talented stars have maximum contracts capped so that that money can be redistributed amongst the middle class. The NBA has a very thriving middle class right now. That's why you're seeing, uh, you know, guys like, I don't know, pick your contract. Um, John Luer? Yes, John Luer, $12 million a year. You yeah. Know, uh, you know, Evan think, Turner? Yeah. Yes, yeah, uh, that's right in your wheelhouse there in Portland. Yeah. So, and the reason that is is because it's one man, one vote. There's a lot more middle class and lower class than there are superstars. Um, so while it's interesting now, you have Chris Paul running it, superstar, LeBron James, vice president, superstar, Carmelo Anthony, vice president, superstar. Could they find a little loophole in there to take care of themselves a little bit? Yes. But as ultimately, the NBA is going to remain a socialistic system because the 29 owners or the 30 owners um, – you know, the majority of them are small markets. Uh, you know, you can't get a group block of large markets. You can get a group block of small and mid-sized markets. And same in the Players Association. Uh, the middle class will always outvote the, uh, the upper class. So, um, you know, the 1% probably is not going to dictate uh, how things go. There could be variances one way or the other, but uh, the maximum salary, the salary cap, um, the draft system... Uh, the lottery system, uh, you know, there may be changes, but they're not going away.
2: It's such an interesting time for Adam Silver because I think he's done a great job since he's taken on the role of commissioner of building positive relationships with the players, and you see how he handled all the Donald Sterling stuff, and now he's you know, essentially sitting across the table from Michelle Roberts and the players. He can either become closer with them by making this a smooth negotiation, or there can be that wedge that's driven between them, frankly, like Commissioner Stern had with the players when he sat at the table for those negotiations. Don't you think that's going to be an interesting dynamic?
1: Well, I think when you look at Adam Silver, what he's done, um, uh, all of his big decisions have been decisions that have been aimed at generating revenue for the owners. Um, His first decision, his first significant decision, was switching the finals from a 2-3-2 to a 2-2-1-1-1. Right. And the idea was you wanted to give the quote-unquote underdog a chance to win Game 6 to force Game 7. It didn't happen his first two years, but by the third year, that's what he got. And he got got a terrific Game 7 where they had 44 million viewers um it was terrific for the television partners the ads on jerseys completely a pro revenue decision uh the, the, the his his pro gambling stance his investment in the uh, daily fantasy leagues all pro revenue um, the donald sterling thing he gets credit for that what was he going to take the opposite position i mean he condemned a racist that's kind of a layup um so to me if you look at adam silver's moves um, they have he is largely, you know, his, his temperament is very different from David Stern. So when you approached David Stern with an idea that he didn't like, not only would he dismiss it, he would embarrass you as he dismissed it. When you approach Adam Silver with an idea, he's much more receptive to it, um, to your face. But in reality, they ha- the, all the decisions that he's made have been pro-revenue decisions for the owners. And that's why the owners love him. Number one, he's not as abrasive. Um, number two, he, he everything he does is to put is to, is to maximize the money in their pockets. The television deal could have been negotiated a lot differently. They could have brought in the players' union to the negotiations uh, so that they wouldn't have had such a cap spikes, cap smoothing issue. Um, they could have included uh, players in, you know in in discussions about maybe you know reducing the schedule as all this new money came in. That's not what they did. They just went in and took the entire bag of money. And and it was a great deal for the owners. They couldn't believe how much money they got. They decided they would deal with the fallout later. Um, So I think uh, Adam's approval rating amongst his bosses, which are not the players and are not the fans, is very high. But um, I don't think he necessarily has, um, you know, how do I want to put this? He doesn't hasn't necessarily made any changes on the game yet that you would consider favorable for the players.
2: Almost $3 billion in free agency money has been handed out so far, 35% increase from last summer. Last time around, the owners cried, Oh, we're poor. Some of us are losing money. Like With this money being handed out now, I don't see how you can make that claim. It's going to be an interesting... Uh, Negotiation. Brian Windhorst, NBA reporter for ESPN. You can find him all over TV shows on ESPN, The Jump. He's everywhere. You can find him on Twitter, at Windhorst, ESPN. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Sports Business Radio. Thank you, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back.
0: Podcast this show and any
2: other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR, powered by Postano, after this. Hey, it's Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, but also the founder of the exclusive Sports PR Summit. After four years in New York City, we're launching a sister event on the West Coast. The first ever Sports PR Summit Social Media Workshop will take place on Wednesday, July 20th at Twitter headquarters in San Francisco. The full-day invite-only event for 125 senior PR and social media executives working in sports will provide an opportunity to hear from the biggest and most relevant social media companies in the world about their latest technology, and best practices. The workshop will allow attendees to leave with a better understanding about how to best utilize the top social media platforms, how to create unique content that engages social media users, which tools to use to know how your audience is engaging with your content, and how best to monetize social media content. Also, as part of our West Coast event, are two unique networking receptions at invite only venues one on the evening of July 19th at Bleacher Report, and the other following our workshop at Twitter on July 20th. For more information and to receive an invite to the Sports PR Summit Social Media Workshop, get in touch with us at sportsprsummit.com. This is Sports
0: Business Radio.
2: We are back here on Sports Business Radio, and I'm joined by my partner on the Sports PR Summit Social Media Workshop, Lauren Teague. Lauren has worked in these social media circles for a long time. She used to lead the social media efforts for the PGA Tour. Lauren, how are you?
3: Hi, Brian. Good
2: morning. Good morning. So, gosh, coming up in just about two weeks, we've got the first-ever Sports PR Summit Social Media Workshop. July 19th, we're doing a networking event at Bleacher Report. And July 20th, we'll be at Twitter headquarters in downtown San Francisco all day. Uh, Let's tell our listeners a little bit more about the event. I know you've really been working with some of our presenters and um, you can talk a little bit about the content and what people who come to the event at Twitter will hear that day.
3: Right. So um, as you said, we're just a couple weeks out from this event, although you and I have been working on it for probably 18 months or so, um, thinking about how this can come together. And and now that we're on the eve or on the doorstep of that uh, kickoff, I'm really, really excited. We've got great sessions um, from some of the top sports and media and tech companies, um, you know, in the space. And so, as you mentioned, Twitter is actually hosting the event. Um, They're leading off the workshop with a session that's actually moderated by Sam Laird, who's the senior sports writer at Mashable. Um, He's going to moderate a session with uh, Raleigh Blank from the the head of Twitter Sports. We have Shonda Maloney, who leads um, social media and digital marketing at the UFC, we also have uh, Marquette King from the Oakland Raiders. He's a punter, and he's hilarious on Twitter. And they're going to be talking about the power of life and how Twitter, Vine, and Periscope actually drive um, sports consumption through real time. And that one probably near and dear to my heart because, uh, as you mentioned, I, I led PGA Tour social media for six and a half years. So we were one of the first brands to be, you know, real-time, in the action, um, you know, getting our fans closer to the game. And that's just really how social media has accelerated through sports. And i um, really excited that we're going to be talking about that um, to lead off the day. We're also going to have great sessions from um, our friends at Bleacher Report, also the Players' Tribune, and Pac-12. And they're going to be talking um, in different ways about you know what? What does their content process look like? How are they building kind of their media distribution plans, uh, their content distribution plans? How are they storytelling authentically in new ways? How are they using things like video um, to really accelerate uh, their content and and how and the stories that they can tell to their audience? Um, and then absolutely how they can monetize. Which when I again when I was back at the PGA Tour, um, you know. Social was fun and nice, but until you actually put dollars behind it and it became a revenue generator, as much as some of the other media efforts that we were able to do on the digital side of the business, um, you know, once we were able to, to take that step and actually monetize our efforts, we started actually being, um, getting a fair seat at the table. And so I think that's really important for us to talk about at the social media workshop when we're at Twitter, um, to talk about how to monetize content, how, you know, how to value it. And, and whatnot and how and learn from these brands who are doing that. Uh, we also have a presentation from Op- Open Doors, who is actually a sports marketing company that creates a marketplace between athletes and potential sponsors and does some of that valuation for what does uh, a social post from an athlete look like and how is that valued compared to other athletes based on their reach and their engagement. Some pretty exciting conversation out of that. Um, And then we're also going to talk with our friends from Postano are going to present on um, using user-generated content into marketing plans. So how to leverage all the great things that not just your brand is publishing, but your fans are publishing. And use that in your marketing, use that in your fan engagement, in your in-venue experience. Um, Lots of opportunities there. So top to bottom, the whole day is just full of, of, of great sessions, great information, learning and best practices, and, um, you know, and then throw into the networking. As you mentioned, we're going to be at Bleacher Report the night before on July 19th to, um, to take over their bar for the evening. Um, great space there and was just in San Francisco a couple weeks ago um, and checked it out and actually went to a Warriors viewing party during the playoffs there. So got a firsthand taste of what that um, Bleacher Report bar experience is like, and our attendees are just going to love that.
2: Yeah, I mean, how often do you get a chance to go inside of Bleacher Report or inside of Twitter? It's a great opportunity. We actually still have some tickets available. If you want to join us on July 19 at Bleacher Report, July 20 at Twitter headquarters, there's a reception after our event on July 20 at Twitter headquarters. You can go to sportsprsummit.com click on events, click on San Francisco and you can request an invite to our event. It is an invite only event. It's for people leading social media efforts for their team, league, brand or platform. Um, You know, we really do try and keep this room uh, an intimate room. We're not, you know, like we do in New York, Lauren, we don't you know, invite 500 people, 1,000 people to come to these things. So when you walk in, part of the value is you know that you're going to be talking to your peers kind of at your same level. Um, And like you said, just a comprehensive day of learning, whether it's fan engagement, how to monetize social media. I look at, you know, sports and, and I... See social media evolving so quickly. Every week there seems to be some new tool or some new twist on something. We've seen Twitter's deal with the NFL. You're going to be able to watch an NFL game, Thursday night NFL games, on your Twitter timeline. If you had brought that up a few years Mm -hmm. ago, people would have thought you were crazy for suggesting something like that.
3: (laughs) Well, and who would have thought a company like Twitter and Facebook, for that matter, were competing for uh, digital rights? Of a major leak, you know that is something that um, you know Twitter specifically has gotten into the video game more and more in helping um, content rights holders monetize their content. But this step with the NFL has taken that to an even um, new level and something that we've never seen before with social media companies really becoming distribution channels. So really, really interested to see how that plays and hopefully, Raleigh. And even um, someone like Marquette King, who's, uh, you know, a player who's going to be in one of those Thursday night games, you know, will actually have an opinion on on how that looks.
2: Yeah, so a lot of different angles will be covered during the course of the day. I like that we're not focusing on just one thing. It's not just how to produce content 24-7, 365, or how do you monetize social media? Like, we're looking at social media from five or six different angles, and I think that's going to really be beneficial to our audience.
3: Absolutely. I totally agree. Um, And as someone who sat in the seat of a social media manager at a professional league, you know, there really is not an event out there like this. If there was, I would have gone to it the last five, 10 years. Um, But there really isn't. And so when I left the PGA Tour, and was able to uh, kind of dictate where my next steps, you know, Brian, as you know, um, as a, a steering committee member of Sports PR Summit in general, I came to you with this idea. And Um, You know, and we worked on it and we've shaped it to be something that um, presenting this social media workshop under the Sports PR Summit brand um, really just helps the people in the seats that I used to be in. And I'm really excited that we have, um, you know, representatives from several professional sports, lots of NCAA teams, sports media, sports tech, um, all coming together. And as you said, an intimate space, Um, really, really exciting because there isn't anything else like this. Um, for like-minded people to come together at that senior level where, you know, we're not selling you on anything. We're just really trying to share and best practices and learn from each other and give you a chance to get in the same room with your peers.
2: Yeah. And that's key. And, And I hear that in New York all the time when people attend our sports PR summit event, we're not selling you on anything we're just trying to make you smarter we're trying to arm you with information and tools that are going to help make you better at your job it's going to help our industry so yeah, that's a really important point that you bring up all right so july 19 the evening networking event at bleacher report in that great bar space that lauren just talked about july 20 at twitter headquarters a rare opportunity to go inside of twitter and hear from some amazing people over the course of a day. At the end of the day, we'll have a networking reception at Twitter headquarters right there on site. For more information, to receive an invitation to this invite-only event, get in touch with us at sportsprsummit.com. You can follow us on Twitter at sportsprsummit. Lauren, tell our audience how they can follow you on Twitter.
3: Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at, at Lauren T-T-E-E, like in golf. Um, a little play on my um, my former lifestyle. And uh, as you said, at Sports PR Summit, um, you and I are both looking at that account. And uh, you can message us individually or go to the website, sportsprsummit.com, and request your invite so that you can get signed up to join us and be in the room July 19 and 20 at uh, Twitter headquarters. It's going to be a really great event.
2: Lauren, thanks so much for taking the time. And I look forward to seeing you in just two weeks in San Francisco.
3: You know it, Brian. Thanks.
2: You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter. Twitter.com slash Radio. Powered by Postano. Hi, it's Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. Did you know that Super Bowl 50 broke the record for single-day Wi-Fi usage and beat last year's record before halftime? And then nearly 80% of fans use their mobile phones during live sports events. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. And that is why major venues around the country work with Boingo Wireless to manage their wireless networks. Boingo knows fans, and they know how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. Boingo designs, installs, manages, and monetizes wireless networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Chicago. Soldier Field, and Phillips Arena, home of the NBA's Atlanta Hawks. Boingo is the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless services so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Sports Business Radio has teamed up with Boingo to bring you monthly stadium stories focused on how technology is changing the business of sports. I will speak with Boingo and their partners, including athletic directors, venue owners, leading sports marketers, and industry influencers who will share valuable insights you'll want to tune in for. For more information on Boingo Wireless, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We are back to wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thank you so much to Brian Windhorst from ESPN. Again, follow him on Twitter at Windhorst ESPN, one of the sharpest minds covering the NBA today. Thanks to Lauren Teague, my partner on the Sports PR Summit social media workshop. Looking forward to that event on july 19th and 20th july 19th at bleacher report july 20th full day at twitter headquarters if you're interested in an invite and receiving more information go to sportsprsummit.com thanks to our show staff brian griggs and josh blank thanks to our friends at pastano for powering sports business radio follow them online at pastano.com or on twitter at pastano thanks to our friends at boingo wireless for powering our sports business radio roadshow Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. I will tell you very soon, we have a big announcement coming up to tell you where our next road show is going to be. It's a very exciting location, uh, big news, so we will share that with you soon here on Sports Business Radio. Look for that on this show and also on our Twitter feed at Radio. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand. Just go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated as a top 100 business news podcast. You can also find our show on Audio Boom, the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, or sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. Our Twitter feed was named to the top 50 sports business must follows on Twitter by Forbes.com for 2015. And Brian Griggs, thank you for all of your help. Uh, It'll be interesting to see where things unfold with uh NBA free agency where Dwayne Wade lands yeah, yeah. and you know what other trades may still be coming Kevin Love's name is always out there yep. you know Russell Westbrook is a guy who uh it looks like he's turned down an extension in Oklahoma City so you know I think you have to trade him at this point if you're Oklahoma City because you can't get nothing for no, Kevin yeah. Durant and Russell <laughs> Westbrook you already got nothing for Durant yeah You can't be left in that position with Westbrook. So, you know, you kind of have to restock the cupboards, tell your fan base you'll be good in five or six years again. They've got some good young talent on that team. Yeah. I think you look at a team like Boston, who has all those draft picks and young players. You've got the LA Lakers, Mm -hmm. where Westbrook went to UCLA. You know, they've got Brandon Ingram and D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle, some future picks might get that done. Those are places that seem to make sense for Russell Westbrook, but you just can't be in a situation where you get nothing at
0: all for your top two players. I don't think that's an option for Sam Preston. Yeah, I don't think that is, and I think you're correct on all that stuff. And I think a lot of these teams that have been, quote, building the last couple years like a Boston, even the Timberwolves, I think, could start making some moves. Uh, You're going to see some of these teams we haven't heard of in a couple of years are going to start ramping back up, so that'll be fun to see. And, of course, I mean, how crazy is Golden State going to see that starting five? That's going to be insane. It's like an all-star team. It really is.
2: (laughs) But again, here's the thing that everyone needs to keep in mind, and we talked about this with Brian Lindhorst, is a year from now, when there's a new CBA, will the owners put measures in place that make it impossible to keep those four guys on the same team, right? Yeah, true. So, you know, last time around, we saw... The owners try and basically set it up so the Heat couldn't do what they did again with LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. Now you've got four max guys in Golden State. Well, the owners try and nix that. So the other thing that's happened is that you're basically paying all your money to four guys, and everyone else on the team is on a minimum contract. So the depth that Golden State had that made them so strong is going away. So if any of those four guys goes down with an injury, you're in real trouble now because you don't have depth on the bench like you did before. So I think the people, I agree with Brian Windhorst too, are handing Golden State the title. It's a little premature to do that because there's a lot that could happen between now and next summer. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you soon.
4: Hello everyone, Mark King here, President of Adidas Group North America. One of the most inspiring parts of my job is the conversations I have every day with extraordinary people who are shaping the sports landscape. I talk to athletes, league executives, athletic directors, and agents, and now I'm bringing these conversations to you through my new podcast series, Extraordinary Happens, competing in sports, business, and life. This series dives deeper into what inspires the people who are leading change in sport both on and off the field. I want to know what makes them tick and uncover how they're challenging convention to make extraordinary things happen for their teams, their businesses, and themselves. And I want to share those stories and insights with you. Tune in to my bi-weekly episodes of Extraordinary Happens on iTunes and Stitcher. And remember, get out there, challenge each other, lead change, and make extraordinary happen.